Welcome to MCSO Behind the Badge, an inside look at the Monroe County Sheriff's Office in Rochester, New York, under the leadership of Sheriff Todd Baxter. We're going to talk about what drives us, our leadership culture, our police work, and share some stories of the great deputies and civilian staff that work with us. We're going to talk with interesting guests, and we're going to invite you to engage in the conversation or just sit back, relax, and listen in. Now let's get in pursuit of today's show. Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast known as Behind the Badge, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office here in Rochester, New York. I am Sheriff Todd Baxter. Uh, happy to command an organization of about 1,200 great employees uh, that work both inside the Monroe County Jail on the road, uh, doing police work in multiple towns throughout our county. Uh, our court bureau that serves and protects our judges and juries and, and keeps that a, a wholesome soul place to uh, people to do business in the criminal justice world. And then uh, our civil bureau. We like to share as much as possible. But today we're going to break it down a little further into uh, what I think is most, probably one of the most key elements besides hiring and selection to make sure we have the most uh, progressive, efficient workforce. And that's called training. And, and the training that we do with our deputies, both at the recruit level, but continuous. Uh, mental training, physical training, uh, skill training is so important, and, and we don't do enough of it. I can tell you that right now. I'll give you a little secret into this podcast. We just don't do enough of it. Uh, but I do have a co-host today, and that's Lieutenant Tom Rowe. Good Lieutenant, morning. How are you? Good morning. Good, and you? Good. Good. You know, and, and we could talk a lot about training. You and I have been together for years and years uh, here in the law enforcement community. Uh you know, and, and, and I think of training and I, I think of what you do outside of law enforcement and how you train, you know, uh, if you will, animals and, and you hunt a lot and, and how that works. I mean, training is a skill, right? And we can build it in people or we can also do training scars on people where we, we do negative training. Uh, you know, it's so it's 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 a fascinating subject that's just to talk about how we train our people up or how we train in, in general. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. And with any type of training, you're, you're looking for a desired effect right. at the end great point you have a certain goal or skill that you want to hone in and you put a measure of uh different schools and and Subst thoughts in place yeah, substance skills, and, right? yep to, to achieve the desired effect and you, you learn what works and what doesn't work and like you were talking about before with the uh training scars that's part of what learning the whole Training is a learning process all the way through. Right. From, you know, from the, the minute you start to the end, it's always evolving, trying to keep it up with, with current, you know, conditions and, and, and um, you know, the climate of where you're at up here may be different than some things they train in other areas of the, of the country down south or out west. It's, you know, totally different, right. kind of specific to this area. Some things are universal. Sure. Some things are very are unique to unique. our environment. Exactly. Correct. Yeah, and just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, who you are, where you come from, but also I, I alluded to what you do uh, in your off-duty time a lot of, and uh, so why don't we answer that riddle for the, uh, the folks listening. All right, yeah, well, again, my name is Tom Rowe. I'm a lieutenant. I've uh, been here for 21 and a half years. Um, started out in our jail bureau in 1999, and then I transferred to the patrol in 2000. Um, over that period of time, I've had... Uh, very, you know, various opportunities to, I was on our SWAT team for 12 years. I left the SWAT team as a, as a uh, sniper team leader. Um, at one time I did, when I was a sergeant, I, I managed our firearms training unit. Um, let's see here, what else? Now I'm currently assigned to our staff services division, which uh, is basically the hub of, the, the support hub for the entire organization, mm -hmm. and, and I'm basically in charge of uh, the training unit. And uh, as far as my hobbies going, I, I, I am in the, you know big outdoorsman, hunting, fishing, 
Uh, I, I do carve waterfowl decoys, but to, to answer the riddle, uh, not the most common thing in the world, but I uh, am a state and federally licensed falconer. So what that is is I, I train raptors, birds of prey, to hunt small game. That's amazing. And it, it is a lot of fun. It's yeah. very interactive. And, it, it I mean, just like you said with animals, it, it translates. The, the basics of training translate right. their, uh, across the board to, you know, people yeah. too. And, and, and the thing that I learned, especially uh, just spending time with the canine handlers of our department and things like that, positive reinforcement is a negative reinforcement. And so many times in our training, especially when we came up, I was in the Army in 1983, you know, it was all negative reinforcement. You know, if you didn't do a certain task, you did a lot of push-ups, which is always good if you've got to adjust an attitude, mm-hmm. right? That's no problem there. I don't have a problem with that. But it's not very conducive to cognitive learning and building skill sets that you want to be repeated under stress because uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to fall back to training when we're under stress. And uh, you want it to be a positive, can-do uh, skill that you, you have buried in the midbrain so it comes out during that stressful time as a positive reaction to, to the stimulus that's in front of you. Sure, sure. And, and specific to falconry on uh, training birds of prey, there is no negative reinforcement. Everything they'll just fly is away. they absolutely <laughs> and they'll hold, they'll hold a grudge against you. So any desired behavior sounds like being married, no? Yeah, well, yeah, let's, we'll not go there. Uh, but no, it, it's any anything desired. They get a reward if it's no if it's something they're doing that you don't want them to do. They just don't get a reward. You can't you say for example canine training. You can't. Right. Uh, give it a shock or something like that. They, yeah, it they just will, doesn't work. It does not work. Yeah, a lot of people think that's how we do our training, right? And so when it comes down to training 1,200 employees, you know, we have a training bureau here in the sheriff's office. Maybe you could just introduce a couple of the deputies, uh, and the sergeant, I'm sorry, that we brought in with us, and, uh, and we'll uh, inter- have them introduce herself a bit. Sure thing. Um, sergeant uh, across the way from me here is Sergeant Chris Vossler. He's currently in charge of the training unit, uh, coming from a, tra- a recent transfer from the firearms training unit. So now he's in charge of the whole thing. Chris? Oh, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Chris Vossler. I've uh, been with the Sheriff's Office 20 years. Uh, most of that time was spent uh, in patrol uh, areas. I have been involved in training primarily since the beginning of my career with physical fitness and then working my way to the firearm side. A uh, little of my background, I did uh, about eight years with our SWAT team, was the training coordinator for them, and uh, left that team as a team leader for an entry team and had the opportunity to transition into the canine world. I worked a patrol tracking, explosive detection, dual-purpose canine, got involved in canine training, which, just like you were saying with the Falcons, is exactly the same, positive reinforcement, uh, and saw a lot of correlations between training recruits and in-service personnel and training police dogs. Uh, And then uh, when my dog aged out, transition, got promoted, and got into the firearms portion of it and training full-time. And uh, to, sitting to my left is Deputy Kelly Randall. Thank you for inviting me to be here today. <laughs> I'm the training coordinator assigned to the Corps Bureau. And um, I say that I was adopted by the Sheriff's Office. Originally, I'm from the Schenectady and Albany area. Oh, really? Okay. And uh, I, um, during my formal education, uh, was accepted as an intern here uh, um, around age 21. And... After my internship, I took the part-time road test. I was hired there, I worked part-time road for about two years, and then I took the full-time Corpio test, and I've been with the Corpio since 2004. Um, going back to when I was an intern, um, everyone who mentored me through that process said that this agency set the bar for um, training and um, for what a law enforcement agency should look like, 
and I do believe that we do set that bar. And I feel very honored to be working in the training unit to continue to raise that bar so that other agencies can look to us for how we should, uh, how they should be conducting themselves and, and the best form of training. Right. You know, I look at the, so training, we, we, we go through a hiring process the first uh, day uh, at the academy, you know, that starts the bar, as Kelly mentioned, you know, of, of high standards, right? Uh, learning simple things like uh, drilling ceremonies so you can march and stand at the position of attention and, and give uh, proper, proper protocols in a paramilitary organization. Uh, and it also starts that attitude that uh, we are, uh, if you will, a, 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 an organization that's going to be held to a higher standard in, in a community, in society, right? Law enforcement is held to a much higher standard for, for one good reason. We have a lot of power and authority, you know, so we should be held to a higher standard. And a lot of that comes not only the selection process, like I started this conversation off, but the, the training process to start now taking people that have character and work ethic and, and honing them into police officers and not only, you know, warriors, which has to be there about 5% of the time, but public servants, you know, uh, of teamwork, of, of uh, supporting your fellow person and fellow person in society. You guys know you, you've, been, you've been cops for a long, long time. I mean, you know, we talk about training and guns and, and, and defensive tactics, hand-to-hand combat and stuff like that, but really, you know, 90% of the time we're talking to people and we're serving people. Uh, that comes out in training too, that, that attitude. And uh, I think at the court bureau, you guys got a great opportunity to do that, you know, because and, and, you contact a lot of people going through some tough yeah. times in their life right. uh, and be that person to listen and a little person to give a little empathy and compassion, For sure. let alone keep the courthouse secure. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a, it's a, you know, we'll talk today a lot about tactical training and, and, and things like that. But, you know, learning how to be a, a public servant is something that we get at the academy, too, and give back. LT Rose. So let's talk a little bit about the the training academy and, and, and that experience. And I think, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with Sergeant Vossler out there on the PT track uh, doing the physical fitness, which is a huge part of it. But uh, just that experience, what are we, as you look at being in charge of the overall training bureau, what, what are we trying to instill in a, uh, in a deputy, whether from court or jail or civil or road, it really doesn't matter. What, what do you look for in training when you, when you, when you see someone wearing that star six, seven months later? Well, that's a, that's a, a good question. Um, there's a lot of things that we're looking for, and as you alluded to at the uh, beginning of the conversation, we're starting out with uh, with people that, you know, based on our hiring process, we're starting out with people that have th- the basics of what we're looking for. Um, the academy is, you're training certain skills, but you, you, I always tell people you can't train experience. So we're, we're preparing an officer or a deputy to go into the field to um, address, you know, these Whatever, whatever it happens to be, could be a disabled vehicle on 490, could be a domestic issue, could be a robbery, could be, hey, somebody just just lost, and so there's a huge gamut of of ser- uh, calls in for service that that were required in, in in the jail, dealing with somebody, an inmate, dealing you know in the court with with any court proceedings, whatever it happens to be. So, uh, you know, at the end, we're looking to put a a trained person. Uh, with, with a, a certain level of skill t- to develop that skill over the course of a 20-year career. Right. Um, and you don't come out of the academy, you know, with, you, you might have, you, you might be able to quote the penal law, right. or you might be able to, um, you know, recite, you know, certain objectives from whatever test that, that you, you know, had, but we have to translate that into real-world experience. And that's, that's where the academy gives you the, the, va- the very basic foundation but after that, everything is developed over your career and consistency training and, and, and continuing to train and to um, build what you have, taking new training and, and, and 
you know, continue forward. So how, how long is that in class experience at the academy? Uh, depends on the the bureau. Uh, the police academy, the road patrol, would be roughly six months. Mm-hmm. That's a twenty six week academy plus uh, three weeks of post academy. Uh, the jail bureau academy is sixteen weeks plus two. And then the court bureau is 11 weeks, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe 11 weeks plus one or two extra weeks of post-academy training. So each is, it's, it's specific to the bureau The bureau you're in, correct. Yep. I, I think to take that uh, and kind of add to that with the uh, academy experience, you know, um, most of our academies, we're always constantly evolving, trying to restructure how it is so that we get the best bang for our buck and make training uh, and the education side of it a little bit more conducive to the student. So in today's environment, the one thing we're finding is all the training starts with effective communication. You can't do anything if you can't effectively communicate. So it is uh, just as important for the instructors to have that skill set so they can effectively communicate what they're trying to teach to the recruits and teach them how to better do that, and that will serve you being that public servant. Right. Uh, you know, I, I strongly believe and we push at the academy uh, quite a bit on the concept of training management, trying to put it through the best developed product. Uh, and uh, I try to fall back and instill in the instructors that it's a kind of a two-prong approach. It's education and training. Education broadens your horizon or your uh, awareness. Yeah. Training narrows your performance. And not until we have education, training, plus that experience do we have a competent police officer. So just out of the academy, they're ready to start field training but I wouldn't call them competent yet. We're still checking them for their whole first year and a half to make sure that we're getting them the experience to go along with the education and the training. Yeah, so the formal part of that training, it's actually a year and a half long. So we do the academy, road patrol, as you mentioned, six months, uh, different bureaus, and then the field training comes next, field training and evaluation, which I think is a very important term where you're paired up with a senior officer eight hours a day, and they're constantly critiquing whether you made a left-hand turn in correct way or a right-hand turn, to, you know, and, and yes. everything else that goes along with all those job functions. Uh, but the idea is that's mentorship as you're going through that process. Someone's demonstrating how to do the job. Someone's taking all that cognitive stuff and the sub-skills you learned in the academy and now applying them in real-world situations, and you're being evaluated for almost four months, depending on the bureau. That's that's pretty intense training. But even with that, we realize we got to evaluate these these employees for another 18 months after that, just when they're on their own, to make sure they're they're coming up to standard, uh, and up to par. It's it's quite an intense. Tra- There's so many things we have to learn. Kelly, what, what do you enjoy training? What's what is, you're you're in the training bureau. What what's your forte? What do you what do you enjoy teaching? What do you enjoy uh, sharing? Well, I just uh, experienced my first academy as the training coordinator. Right. So that was an incredible experience. Um, I am a general topics instructor. I'm also an FTO. And I do want to kind of piggyback on how you talked about mentorship during the FTO process. When the official formal training portion is done, that mentorship never goes away. So the, the relationships that field training officers develop with recruits extends years into our careers. And, um, so it's important that you know, we take ownership of our own training, not only just what the department can offer us, but to continue to um, learn and grow and um, find things that interest you and then bring that back to work and apply it in, the spe- in special ways that you, know, you can apply different skills. You bring up a great point how we all developed then over our career and we, we, 
we gravitate to things we like, you know, like a couple of people mentioned SWAT or canine or, you know, scuba or, uh, you know, defensive tactics, being an instructor. I mean, these are all opportunities that besides just being a law enforcement officer that we have, you know, to grow our careers forward. There's so many opportunities. Uh, you know, you mentioned field training and evaluation and mentorship. I, I tell you the names and, and uh, you know, where they're living and, and what their wife's names are, all my field training officers mm -hmm. to this day. That was 30-some years ago, right? So you spend a lot of time with them in the car. They beat you up, but uh, it's a mentorship program that you keep close to you for, for the rest of your life. It's pretty interesting. Uh, In-service training. So we, we go through this training module, and, and uh, every at least two years, if not more, uh, not enough, by the way, uh, we do some kind of more formal training to, to either build new skill sets uh, or reinforce skill sets that the state mandates that we reinforce, like uh, yearly qualifications. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that, you know, the in-service training program, and that's, that's so intense when you have multiple bureaus, 1,200 employees, and they all have to go through this training process. How is it to manage all those, those different training avenues, it, not only what we're mandated, but, and we don't do enough, uh, what we should be training in, in all those sub-skills? Well, uh, we're lucky enough to have um, people like Deputy Randall and um, our, our next guest up here, De Deputy Graham, and one, a representative from each of the bureaus in, in the training unit itself um, who are very competent, and, and they go out and they collaborate together to figure out what, what we can do universally through all three bureaus and then what we have to do bureau-specific. So they, they're all in the same office. They all put their heads together. They work with uh, Sergeant Vossler and, and develop a training program both for the spring in-service and the fall in-service. Um, and again, based like, like on what, what you said, uh, based on current you know, requirements of the state, um, mandates from the state, and you know certain things uh, that that we see that we uh, like, for example, uh, in recent years, um, the opioid epidemic, right. excited delirium, that type of thing. That's that's current. So we're going to take that. That's current. That's that's really having a huge impact out in the community. So that's a current thing. We can we can really maybe push some. I don't know something. I don't. There's nothing that's less you know or or not good to train. But sometimes things take more importance right. because it's directly affecting the community right now. So we can implement that and, and get it to all of our membership so they have the most current, um, you know, ideologies and uh, methods for, for dealing with those issues. Yeah, no, I think going off of that, you know, we have our set in services so we we know in, in our department, you know, we, we're working to always exceed. So even from our recruit academy, we exceed the state uh, minimums or standards uh, to try to make sure we're giving our employees the best so we have our set protocols spring and fall like the lieutenant mentioned we have set in service all three bureaus or four bureaus come together sometimes it's a multi-bureau where we're actually all in the same room that's actually something we've been doing more recently a lot more of so we can build that rapport in that communication between interdepartmentally uh, and then sometimes it's specific to a, a task that the jail specifically has that's a correctional-based or a court security-based or a police-based, uh, and we break it apart. But, yeah, we're constantly going. We uh, Every spring it is set in stone. We will do some kind of judgmental uh, decision-making Article 35 review uh, to keep up with that common trend. Uh, and then in every fall, there is always a firearms component qualification trying to push a set standard, uh, but really pushing that to – training concept of we don't just train to a minimum standard we're trying to build a level of proficiency uh and that takes a lot of time and like the sheriff has mentioned numerous times you can never do enough of it yeah and that's our problem is uh, training is very expensive you know to take a deputy off the road uh 
you know, we may be backfilling that road position or out of the court bureau or whatever uh, with an overtime position. You know, there's only so many slots that we can afford to take people out of to put them in training. If we're going to train 1,200 employees uh, at least two times a year, you can only imagine the math there that can add up pretty quick uh, for training. With that being said, we don't do enough. And, and one of my challenges uh, as the sheriff is then how do we create, how do we manage environments that we can do more training? And I'm a big fan of what we call uh, micro fights or micro scenarios, you know. And, and the thing that I think we train the least or the, the thing we need to train way, way more in is the cognitive decision making under stress, both in an escalation or de escalation, or even decision making how to under stress at a crime scene. Uh, we don't spend a lot enough time in the training of stress management and decision-making under stress, whether it's you're walking into a building search 3 o'clock in the morning and someone startles you and that's a cell phone in their hand or is that a gun in their hand, right? That's a split-second decision a cop's got to make. But also you're on scene for a horrific baby murdered call, uh, which we, I've been on, right? And, and your whole thought process goes out the window. You don't even think about crime scene management and you don't think about where I'm going to put up the tape, who do I call first as notifies, uh, things like that. You know, so we... I, I challenge our training bureau, uh, but I got to challenge myself first. How do we create the environments to do more training, uh, in particular in the, in the decision-making under stress? Uh, so one of the things we're doing is a manpower study. We, we're out trying to see if we can find, are we using our manpower as efficiently as possible? And, and is there opportunities to create more training hours yeah. in, in that manpower study? And going off of that, I think that uh, you know you hit a great point, and you're hitting the nail right on the head. Is uh, that micro fight? Uh, that's kind of an extension of a re- what they classify as reality-based training, making our training as close to reality as we possibly can. Uh, and when done properly, it's going to have twofold effect uh, because then it also raises the stress. And there's a correlation between uh, your physiological effects of stress on how you're going to perform. Uh, some scientists out there have said that just real-world stress drops a proficiency level by up to 30%. So if we know that under high stress, our officers are going to automatically just, the as best human, case, are going to perform. Beings, right, gonna as human beings, everybody's going to have that effect. We've all had that, oh, my God, what just happened, startle moment. Uh, we don't want our officers having that. We want them staying cognitively engaged in indecision, problem-solving mode all the time. And the only way we can do that is good, hard, quality training uh, to a set proficiency, holding them to a standard, and then bringing them back and offering up additional remedial training when necessary. And, and we go to that Socratic method of learning, right? That uh, you know, in the old days, if you you screwed something up, you just drop and do a bunch of push-ups, get screamed at by an instructor, and then you do the bobblehead, you shake your head up and down. Yes, I'll do it better next time, but you didn't do it better. Now we're getting to the training philosophy. All right, you screwed that one up. Here's how you do it right. I'll demonstrate it for you. And now you go through and perform till you perform it to standard. And what we found, what we all know as trainers is under stress, your brain's going to revert back to that midbrain, right? You're, you're, you're going to go back to that midbrain where that skill has been built. And if it's a good skill, you're going to fall back on that automatically. If it's a bad skill, you're going to fall back on that bad skill also and perform that habit. And I always go back to the, you know, years ago, California Highway Patrol carrying revolvers. Uh, they were training on a range to take the revolver. You used to dump th- you know, the casings out on the ground, and you shot your six rounds out of the revolver. You dump them on the ground, and you load up six new, and you go back and shoot your target, a paper target or whatever. Uh, and because they got lazy, a training officer allowed them to take those rounds, the spent rounds, and put them in their pocket, then reload new ones. Well, under stress, if that's the last thing you did, that's what's going to happen during combat, right? And, and the story goes, of course, that uh, two dead California Highway Patrol officers are found with brass 
spent casings in their pocket. And obviously they were in a gun battle, but taking an extra time to take brass instead of dumping it on the ground and reloading as quick as possible, they're putting that brass in their pocket, and that's how they were found dead. Um, you know, those are training scars that we give our people because we, we get lazy in training, or we don't put, we got to imprint in a midbrain what we want them to do under stress. A absolutely, and that's that conditioned response. We just want, when hit with stimulus A, I'm automatically going to move to B, and if it's a situation where I have to be able to move from A to Z and everything in between, I don't want to have to stop at every letter. I want to just be able to know through good good quality training and have confidence in my training so I just revert back to it because all police encounters uh, have been found that they're high stress uncertain and rapidly evolving situations that's going to bring that stress level up even higher which is going to potentially have a negative effect on my performance so I want to be able to fall back and, on my and training. And if you practice that environment more the more you practice that environment the better you get at that working in that Absolutely. environment so you're going to make better decisions even on the de-escalation of something you know we're talking about escalation through a use of force matrix but also you could remain that much of calmer because your brain's been there before I've been in this environment uh, you know so it's not that stressful to me so maybe I could slow my heart rate down a little bit breathe a little more and think cognitively how to solve this problem. And that's uh, kind of goes back to that what I'm the uh, training area we started with even in the especially in the jail side of it and I'll let uh, Deputy Graham here speak a little bit about uh, the effective communication she's one of our instructors on that but it all falls through that if I have to escalate and or de-escalate my level of force or my verbal commands I have to make sure that I'm not escalating because my desired effect is not clearly established so I have to be effective in getting my message across so I can it'll aid me so Deputy Graham you want to introduce yourself? In, uh... Thank you for having me. My name is uh, Kelly Graham, and I work for the Sheriff's Department now for 22 years. And as Sergeant Vosser said, um, I, am, I have the um, honor to teach effective communication to our recruits. Uh, I have a, an academy class in currently of about 30 that are learning these skills. Um, and we do the scenario-based training in our effect, effective communication class. And, you know, some things, like you said, go right and some things we need to work on. So we continue to do those scenarios and give them options and other ways to handle uh, situations that may be um, escalating so that they can verbally de-escalate. Because, again, in the jail, um, we, we use that skill a lot. Every day we're using our effective communication to make um, things run smoothly. Right. So it's very important that um, the recruits master this skill um, and it – brings me uh, great pleasure when they come back to me and I have meetings with them and they say, hey, remember what you taught me in this class? I used that the other day and it was really good and it worked. So um, that's beneficial. But that is one of the things we um, focus on a lot, especially in the uh, jail environment, is our effective communication. Yeah, you see uh, jail deputies have just got that ability to communicate really, really well, right? So you're, you're, in a, you're in an environment where you can't do anything else sometimes but maybe bring things down. Uh, because it's a highly charged environment, and it's just—it's great to watch jail deputies talk. It's, it's amazing how they get the—you th know—the ability to talk. And Lieutenant Rowe, you came from the jail. You mentioned that. I'm sure you see it on the road patrol. You can see a jail deputy that's now on the road. Uh. Sure, far and above. Um, you know, you know, very, very few of the, the calls for service that we um, engage in are, are like action-packed scenes that you would see in a Clint Eastwood movie or, or Mel Gibson or whatever, 90% of it, 95% of it is, is verbal, you know, verbal interactions with people. And, and if you can, you, you see a person that's, that's come from the jail. I mean, that's pretty much, I mean, there are, there are times where you have to go get physical inside right. there, of course, but 90, if, if you can, I always told people you got to be able to sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves <laughs> in the middle of July. And if, if you, if you can, if you can, you know, talk to people, 
and and figure out what exactly it is you know what's your goal what is it that they need to hear to accomplish your goal you can you can accomplish a heck of a lot just just by talking you don't need to get physical with somebody right. you know sometimes you know the, the 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 person or people that you're dealing with force you to that level and and a, a person that comes from the jail it takes a lot longer right uh, especially if they've been in there for quite some time to get to that point where they it's there's no other choice here i have to go hands-on so so deputy do we do enough of that training do we do enough of that training how to de-escalate verbal situations how to how to recognize people are really really jacked you know that's the, the chart is way high right they're they're just as stressed out as be and then we roll in, in a blue uniform we might take them up to that next level just being there responding right uh, do we do enough of that training to bring them back down do we do enough of that training how, or how's a jail deputy learn that skill so much that we can share with all, all the other cops around the world because uh, it's a great skill that you guys have yeah, we do a significant amount of training with the recruits in the academy, but we're fortunate enough in the jail that we're kind of forced to use that skill every day. So we get to practice that skill on a daily basis for eight hours while we're at work every single day. Um, so I think we're kind of in a unique situation where we don't have very many other tools right. on our belt, and that's our most important tool is our communication skills. And we practice the one-way communication and the two-way communication and how, you know, which one's more effective and what works and what doesn't work. And communication never stops either, even right. if we do have to go hands-on. And, you know, the scenario changes a bit. We're still communicating. We're still using verbal commands. And so the recruits get to, to know that a little bit. Yeah, and how you treated that person the day before because you're in a, an enclosed environment. How you treated them a week ago is going to play out when things are stressed out and going back and talking to that person the next right. day if you have maybe a, a bad encounter and you know I say to the recruits I've worked here 22 years I probably have one use of force on my record because right. I talk to people right. I don't get to that point um, I'm able to if we're escalating being being able to de-escalate and, and bring it to a different place and take that extra time that right. it may take you may need another 20 minutes of your time to talk to this person and, and understand where they're coming from but taking that time is very effective Good. LT, uh, anything else about training we want to hit? Yeah, and, you know, you, you mentioned it and I, I, about, you know, not getting enough time to train. But we do, like, like Kelly just said, we do um, train for eight hours a day, right. every day. And even, even when we're out on the road, uh, you work in the midnight shift. I call it stress inoculation. You're driving by a gas station, and you say, all right, if a robbery take place right now, what do I do? And you run that through in your head. Scenario, yeah. and, and, you've, and, and that by doing that, you're inoculating against the suddenly it happens. I already have a plan, and just by having that plan ahead right. of time, you may roll in in a, in a position where you're more calm, where it might not be a robbery. It may be something that looks similar to a robbery, but you're not escalating the situation just by sheer nature of the way you responded to it because you went ran through those scenarios in your head. You know, uh, in, the, in the jail, how, how would I have talked to that person differently? Or I watch an interaction between, uh, or even in the court, I watch an interaction between a deputy and a, and a, uh, a, a citizen. How would I have done that right. with that person? And you run it through, maybe what you would have done would have been better, maybe not. But you're constantly, every day is an eight-hour training day. Um, it's just, you just got to look at it that way and continue to try to improve on your on yourself and your performance. I think yeah, that going off of that, that's that mental preparation is what we strive. There's a great book called Left the Bang. Living Left the Bang is, uh, you know, the concept that bang would be that bad incident. Bad bangs that day that potentially is a life-altering incident that we could, we could all be forced to encounter. Now, between now and that incident, that bad day, what am I doing now to prepare myself for that? So I will respond better when it occurs, and then life after bang, right of bang, 
is, all right, that incident might alter my life altogether, but I can mitigate some of that life-altering effects by preparation now. Uh, and that we really strive that hard, push that to all the deputies at all levels to prepare them because it may come early in your career, it may come late in your career, but inevitably we've all been there. We've had one incident at least in our career that changed our perception of everything, uh, and we want to be able to prepare for that day. A whole other uh, podcast that we're going to have just on what you brought up, Sarge, is, is uh, conditioning the mind and the body for the experience of just being a law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. Not just the big bang, right, the, that one, but the accumulative effect of law enforcement for Absolutely. 20 years. Uh, we have to do a better job conditioning through training uh, our minds to prepare ourselves to deal with that stress. And, and, and one of it's just admitting their stress in the job, right? Absolutely. And, and we're not superheroes underneath these blue uniforms. But that's a whole other podcast you brought up and a whole other training venue that uh, is, as you can see, is we're never done training, as the lieutenant said, and, and, and every every day is a training environment. Absolutely. Might be a first-line leader just looking at that opportunity to do some training, and, and that's very important. So we finish up the uh, the podcast. appreciate you guys coming on board with us uh, with the thing we call the No Miranda Zone, where we fire a couple questions at you. Uh, if you know Miranda, you have a right to remain silent. Well, this is the No Miranda Zone, so you have to answer the question because I'm the sheriff. So uh, just have a good time. They're easy questions. Deputy Graham's like ready to run out of the room here. Uh, so we'll start out with something real easy. If I mean, you're going to Wegmans or Tops or any other supermarket, pa- paper or plastic, what do you want? See, that was easy. I'll take plastic. Plastic, sir. LTRO. Plastic all day. Yep, I have to go with the plastic as yeah, well. Yeah, because we all recycle those bags and yeah. use them, don't we? Going to miss those sooner or later. Uh, if you had a favorite candy bar, what would it be, Sarge? Snickers. Well, oh. Kit Kat. I'm going to go with Almond Joy, sir. All good choices. All good choices. Randall, you're quiet over here. Yell in. <laughs> all right. We'll go ahead. Oh, you're going to get a candy bar give one? Me, give me the next one. Oh, you're, you're going to study or something? <laughs> what are you going to do? All right. So we're in New York. This is apple growing season. Favorite type of apple. It doesn't have to be just be New York apple. What's your favorite type of apple? Honeycrisp. Honeycrisp. I'm going with the Honeycrisp. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll throw it I'm going to go Granny Smith. There you go. Yeah. What a rebel. I love it. Uh, well, that's it, folks. We'll, we'll leave it on the New York State Apple thing. And uh, just great having our training environment uh, discussed a little bit more. The idea is not only share what we do as a, a, an organization, but also the people. And you can hopefully hear in the, the passion of these folks in the training bureau how they uh, are, are designed to uh, you know grow the future, grow our bench of the Mono County Sheriff's Office and make sure we're holding high standards way above New York State standards. That's what we try to say. So that's just the base. That's the minimum. And uh, so, folks, I uh, appreciate you listening in, learning Thank a you. little more about the Sheriff's Office. Appreciate my guest, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of MCSO Behind the Badge. In between episodes, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Monroe Sheriff NY. Until next week, be safe.